0: This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Today on our podcast, we're going to interview the authors of a best-selling book on fly fishing, The book is called The Fly Fisher's Book of Lists, and the authors are, well, us, Dave and me.
1: Wait, (laughs) you just called our book a bestseller? Is that true? Is that accurate?
0: Well, yes, I think it is, because our book is best enjoyed when it sells rather than sitting in a warehouse somewhere. (laughs) That's the definition of a bestseller, right? (laughs)
1: Well, not exactly, but we think it's a terrific addition to any fly fishers library, I will say that. Or if you don't have a library, it's great to have available whenever you have a few minutes to read and think about fly fishing.
0: Even if you're not a reader, we think you'll enjoy it. Uh, The chapters take just one to two minutes to read, and some of the chapters will even make you
1: laugh. Well, I love the uh, subtitle, Life is Short, Catch More Fish.
0: Yeah, one reviewer on Amazon said it's like little cookies for the
1: brain. (laughs) Isn't that good? I don't think I'm offended by that. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. He didn't say it was, was, or she didn't say it was deep and truthful.
0: No, but I think this reviewer gave us five stars, so hey, we'll take it. And (laughs) that's what we're going to serve up today. We're going to serve up some little cookies. Uh, Dave and I, we're going to share and reflect on a few of our favorite lists from the book. Uh, We hope you'll pick up some wisdom or simply enjoy thinking about the sport that we love. So Dave, where do you want to start? What's one of your favorite lists in this uh, bestseller?
1: I have to say that one of my favorite lists is the one on page 100 that is eight adjustments to make for spring creeks. And this uh... this list came from our interview with gary borger and what i love about the list is I, it took me a while to learn how to fish spring creeks i thought i was a good fly fisher and then i started fishing the spring creeks of the driftless and going time after time and not catching fish i spent most of my early years fly fishing in the west and you can get very lazy in the west One, i was a bad fly fisher in the west but even as a bad fly fisher, I could still catch fish now and then. Once I started fishing the spring creeks of the driftless, I was stumped about why is it so hard? And so this list that Gary Borger gave us, actually it's a distillation of, of the interview, makes so much sense. So I'm just going to give you the eight and, and maybe pick one that is, uh, is really important to me. So there are eight in this list. And there are eight adjustments that you have to make. One is your attitude, and and Gary Borger mentioned that. When you're fishing a spring creek, you just can't stand in the river and sling as if you're standing in a big freestone river in the west. So you have to make a different, you have to have a different attitude. The second one is your tackle. His big thing is that your tackle has to be lighter. The third thing is that your fly presentation has to be more precise. And that's because the water is very, very clear. And the fourth is, the playing of the fish with more refined tackle such as fine leaders um, you have to have more sophistication in how you actually play the fish the fifth one is your visibility and we've talked about this a lot in the small spring creeks you just have to work very hard at not casting your shadow across the creek sneaking up to the runs etc etc the sixth is your clothing we've talked about that that has to do with making sure you're not wearing white or something that's very very visible the trout. Seven is your casting you have to do less false casts because um, because again the water is so clear you have small pools and you just can't whip it and continue to cast your fly or whip the water because you'll scare the fish. The eighth is your approach to the stream and this actually goes back to our previous podcast just the importance of stocking fish so I, I love that list because because of Gary Borger in that interview, it really helped me become a much better fly fisher. How about you? What's a list in the book that you like?
0: Wow. Uh, there must be something about the number eight, because uh, one of my favorites is Bob's Eight Pearls of Fly Fishing Wisdom. Uh, this is on pages two and three. And and he was uh, he was a fly fishing mentor of mine. I, I took a fly tying class from him. We struck up a friendship. And uh, just a fascinating uh, guy. He... He worked for, he did some guiding and fly tying for Ted Turner back in the day when uh, Ted and Jane Fonda lived there in uh, Montana's Gallant Valley. And, and uh, I mean, good night. He guided folks like uh, Jimmy Carter and Hank Aaron. And and anyway, uh, here are some of. You. I'll just read his eight pearls of, of fly fishing wisdom and. And I'll I'll comment on a couple as well. So number one is nymph and streamer fishing is most productive. Uh, Fact is, 85 to 90% of a trout's diet comes from below the river surface. And when I finally figured that out, it really revolutionized the way that I fish. Uh, Second, the best weather for fly fishing is an overcast cool day. I think we we know that well now, but uh, for new fly fishers, Uh, Just a reminder that sometimes the the most beautiful day is not the best day for catching. Uh, Number three, if you're into fly tying, uh, an old extension cord will provide you with a lifetime of copper wire. And I can testify to that. That's uh, where I've gotten some of my copper wire, and I've got tons left. Uh, Number four, the time to fish mayflies and caddisflies is different. Uh, Mayfly hatch, best time is midday. Uh, between 11 and 2 but if you're fishing a caddis hatch the evening is when the majority of caddis flies emerge now if you're right in the heart of the hatch you know okay you can you can find them any time of the day but uh, as summer starts to wear on especially in the west uh, evening is a great time Uh, number five tie your nymph and streamer patterns with bead heads Uh, they create a natural drift Uh, Number six, the more you fly fish, the fewer flies you will use. And we've talked a lot about this. I'm not going to go into any more detail. You can read the uh, item here in in the book if if you want, a little teaser there uh, to pick up some patterns. But uh, that's number six. Number seven, change the size of fly before you try another pattern. And we've talked a lot about that and that's a that's a huge uh, adjustment that that might work Uh, i've I've had times where i've had to go from a an 18 to a 20 and wow all of a sudden i'm catching fish and then number eight now mend your line and i guess that's the eternal voice inside my head you know now mend your line so yeah that's one of my that's one of my favorites uh uh, from another uh, great fly fisher how about you what's another one dave
1: my next one is a little bit self-serving. It's one I wrote on the three humbling fly fishing moments that I've had. It's on pages 118 to 119.
0: Now, I don't think that's too self-serving, Dave, because if, if these are humbling moments you've had, then uh, you're probably going to embarrass yourself, right?
1: <laughs> well, as fly fishers, uh I should speak for myself. We all think that we're better than we really are, and and we can cast farther and we catch more fish. And it's it, I don't I'm not going to speak for women fly fishers, but I can certainly speak for the male species. Uh, there's this sense that you're better than the other person, or why would you fly fish, right? I mean, I've been better th- than you for forty years, my friend. So um <laughs> so anyway so in this list i tell the story of when you and i were fishing the gardner river many years ago we had a guy named ben and he took us out we were catching fish and i'm not sure where you were we separated you were at one run and he took me uh upriver, and there's this tiny run and it was an awkward cast i'm right-handed so it was a cast over my, from my left shoulder over my right shoulder. So it was going from left to right. And the river was drifting from right to left. And there were a bunch of brown trout stacked up in this run. and You could see them in there. And so <laughs> I made one cast. It was lousy. Made another cast. You said, Dave, why, why don't you get up just a little closer? And I made another cast. And I made another cast. And and there's this long pause <laughs> And he goes, Dave, um, why don't we just move to the next run? (laughs) It was, he was so nice, but you could just see, he was like, oh my goodness, this guy is a complete failure. (laughs) And I remember thinking in that moment, you know, this is so good for me because it, it shows exactly where I stand in my specialty casting and I, it was just it was not a uh anyway so that list has two other little anecdotes like that but uh that is one of my favorites just because it really stands out as as a as a warning to me anytime i think i'm, I'm better than i really am
0: oh man fly fishing sure has a way of humbling you doesn't it
1: hey steve yep. um do you have another list in you
0: Yeah. Another one I like is Five Truths When Fishing Dry Flies After Dark. That's on pages 108, 109. And I like this one because I learned all these trial and error in uh, Rocky Mountain National Park one summer week. Uh, Number one is that browns uh, like to feed in darkness. And I was fishing a little creek that had a lot of browns. And uh, this is common knowledge, but it's a good reminder. uh, the, The Browns. At least the bigger boys come out of their lairs when the day is dying in the west, so don't quit too soon. Second, the white post on a tiny parachute Adams makes it stand out. And I've been surprised, it's fishing at dusk and it's getting dark and the last thing that you can see is that white post. Uh, Sometimes the tan wing of an elk hair caddis is easy to spot too. Uh, Number three, assume that any rise in the vicinity of your fly is a strike. I mean, when you can't see, that's just a good practice. And I was pleasantly surprised several times when I I saw a fish roll or rise, and I pulled up, and, hey, I've I've got one on. Uh, Number four, go with shorter casts. I mean, it's it's a lot easier to see your fly and to control your line as the darkness takes over, and it will also keep you from snagging a rock or branch on the other side of the bank. Huh, the editor put a lesson Steve has still not learned. I did not write that. whoa, I did not write that. Uh, that must have been you, man. But what a friend you are all right, number five there's all these <laughs> little flashlight. digs.
1: there are all these little digs
0: i'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to reread this again,
1: man uh
0: yeah, maybe this isn't the bestseller. <laughs> okay number five a flashlight can save the day uh, or the the night after you snag your line because you didn't adhere to point number four uh, <laughs> you'll be forced to try threading a 6x tippet through the eyelet of a size 18 hook oh man uh, good luck with that if you don't have a flashlight if your cell phone is back at the truck actually i think after we wrote that i finally purchased one of those uh, uh little headlamps man i love that i I haven't had that much occasion to use it but uh, whenever I have that's such a that's such a great thing so how about you do you have a do you have another one Dave
1: I do I think we're doing three lists each for this episode and my last one is called five questions before you buy your next pair of waiters and it's on page uh, pages 58 to 59 I like it because it has a little sass to it. I think we're always oversold by the brands, and we have to have this new pair of waders, and it has to be $650, and it has to be from Sims. or And again, no dig at Sims. They're a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful brand. And, if, and so I basically give, I think, five or six. Um, it's actually five questions to ask. And here are the questions. One is, how many days a year do you fly fish? That's really important. You and I fly fish anywhere from what? 15 to 20 days a year and so if you're fishing that Mm -hmm. much you need a decent pair of waders they're not going to wait they're not going to wear out like a guide who might be going out 100 days a year so you probably don't need that pair of sims waders Um, another question is is this my only pair of waders so uh, is this a second pair or is this your primary pair i pretty much have one pair of uh, full chest waders and then a pair of hip waders and I alternate, and of course I use in the summertime. I don't wear waders at all. Number three, how brand conscious am I? And this is an important question. If if it's important to you to be seen wearing really nice waders, I mean that's. I mean some people think that way, right? Some people w- will purchase. You know, I purchase expensive cowboy boots, and I'll pair. You know, buy a pair of five hundred or seven hundred dollar pair of Lucases when in fact I could buy really just as good a pair for one hundred and fifty bucks, but. Why do I do that? I don't know. But some people are brand conscious, right? Well,
0: and I, I want to buy an expensive pair of waiters so that you see me wearing them. It just just <laughs> makes me feel so good about myself, Dave.
1: <laughs> Let's keep moving. So the next yes. question <laughs> The next question is, what is my budget? And that really gets back to the, the the third point. I think I think we can all find a workhorse pair of. Of waders between 250 and 350. I actually just purchased a pair of Orvis waders, lightweight, that I really like, that I use in the winter as well as use in the summertime. Or really not in the summertime, but spring and fall. 200 to 350 bucks, you're just fine. The fifth is, should I buy waders with boots attached? And I said, absolutely no. No. Yeah. (laughs) No, you want the stocking foot waders and you want to buy boots. As an as a separate item, and uh, I think that goes without saying. Do you have any comments on that, Steve? No, I agree. If I think
0: veteran fly fishers know that, but if you're a new fly fisher, you might think, "Hey, you know, here's a I can just get it all in one uh, shot." But uh, yeah, good luck putting them on and taking them off, and they're they're just they're just clunkier and they're they're cheaper because I'm not aware of any really high quality brand. Um, hey, that reminds me though, I remember once you were talking about uh, buying expensive waders and you, you mentioned about a, a guy in a fly shop that you met who was going to Alaska. Remember
1: oh yeah. that story? That was funny. So this was actually quite a few years ago, uh, but it was back when Glen Ellen, which is near the town, I live in Wheaton, and I actually lived in Glen Ellen at the time, but they had a really great fly shop called Fly and Field. It was on the corner uh, in downtown, just, a uh, not too far from the, where the Starbucks is today, just a cute little shop. And it's clear that, well, they went out of business like a lot of retail, uh, back then. But, um, so I, I walk in on a Friday afternoon thinking, eh, I just want to look around. I walk in, and the, the, uh, the, the person at the, at the front was helping a and there's a lot of investment bankers and people that are in the financial services industry in our suburbs here. It's a white collar suburb, couple white collar suburbs, and so he was standing there. The fly shop monkey was helping him, and and I overheard the conversation. The guy goes, Yeah, I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna go to Alaska for a trip. And you could just see the eyes get big, you know, with the person who was helping him. And I think you need this fly and fly rod. And I think you need. I remember the guy saying, "So this will give me the advantage, this fly rod." It was like a thousand dollar, fifteen hundred dollar fly rod. <laughs> and the guy, yeah, it really will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And by the time that guy got out of there, I think he had like five thousand dollars worth of gear. <laughs> hey. Wow, and he probably used it once and it probably sat in his you know in his closet for another 20 years um but anyway the point is if you're a new fly fisher you don't have to buy all the hype right get the minimal i would say take a minimalist approach and improve your gear over time if you decide you like the sport and it wears out too quickly and eventually you do start to buy more expensive gear because many much of the gear is high quality and but you you can find value and you don't have to buy the you know quote unquote top of the line.
0: Well, here's one final list uh, that I'll share. Uh it's eight fly fishing personalities. This is page 46 and 47. And I like this because it it makes me laugh when I think about how differently uh, all of us as fly fishers approach the craft and uh uh you know, we don't mean to make fun of anybody in particular, except ourselves, because we included ourselves in this uh, list as well. So, number one is the warrior on a mission. You know, this is the intense hyper-competitive male that, I don't know, we've, we've run into a few times, you know, who's uh, man on a mission to plow past us and get to the favorite spot on the, the river. And, and, you know, this kind of personality have to be careful because they can be rude or inconsiderate of others, even if they, uh, even if they're not aware of it. So yeah, the warrior on a mission. Uh, number two is the know-it-all. I mean, <laughs> need I say more? No. Uh, yeah, this is the narcissist who won't shut up. I mean, gotta <laughs> tell you everything that he knows and 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 then some.
1: And has never asked a question That's of you
0: true. in your life, right? Absolutely. Uh, number three is the Sim supermodel. Again, we're not picking on Sims. We love Sims products, but yeah, this is the pretty boy or pretty girl fly fisher who may fish only once every couple years. You just talked about that, but has the best gear that money can buy and looks perfect wearing it.
1: Athletic boy, build. We don't
0: resemble that. Yes, <laughs> no, no. There's a lot of things here we don't <laughs> resemble here. <laughs> no. Yeah, we're we're not. By the way, we're we're not including ourselves as that Sim supermodel. <laughs> All right, number four, and it pains me to say that we're, this is not us either, but this is the golden boy or girl. Uh, this is the fly fisher who came out of his or her mother's womb with the Midas touch, the amazing athlete with unbelievable hand-eye coordination. And, you know, what I find some of the, the golden boys that I fish with, they, they fish a lot less than I do, and they catch twice as many fish as I do. So yeah, that's that's tough, isn't it?
1: You just grow to hate those people. Uh, then,
0: oh, I know it. I know. Then number five, the lucky dog. So unlike the golden girl who's genuinely gifted, this person is not so much talented as lucky, and that's even more frustrating. <laughs> you know, they, they often catch the bigger fish. And and I again we won't mention any names, but, but we have a friend in, in yes, common that, that uh <laughs> Yeah, it's like, how do you catch fish when you're, yeah, you're so bad.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, and yet always catching the
0: biggest brown. I know it, I know it, Uh, that's it. All right, number six, the anxiety-driven fisher. This fly fisher is always a bit nervous, feeling as if he or she is not fishing in the right place and thus trying to move you out of your uh, run. And say, hey, just, just give us a a little bit more space, a little bit more time. All right, number seven, and uh, this is Dave's fly fishing personality. You ready for it? Drum roll. The drama king or queen, uh, drama king in your, your case. Uh, this is your personality because you have a penchant for breaking rods and locking keys in the trunk of his car or Or, uh, you know, all all sorts of other things that that have even happened since we've written this book.
1: Like getting stuck in the mud in the winter on Blue River, on the Blue River. Oh, man. No kidding.
0: Uh, Wow. Well, the final one is me. I guess I'm the restless soul.
1: Yes, you uh, are. Let me just just step in here. Let me just step in here. Okay. I can finish this one. Steve is the most annoying guy that you can fish with because no matter how quickly you move from run to run, he's moving more quickly. So if you even blink, he's up a half a mile, and he's ruined all the runs between you and him. And so to get uh, ahead uh, of him, uh, you have to stop fishing for about 30 minutes and just run as fast as you can to get ahead of him. So you get one good run, and then he's back around over to the next and up another quarter mile from you. Steve is just miserable to fish with. Not always, but sometimes.
0: <laughs> Man, I'm going to I'm gonna get a video next time with my camera with you running after me <laughs> with your waders. I don't recall that, but... Uh... Hey, it's in the book. It must be true. <laughs> oh, oh man! So yeah, that's a, that's a little bit of a taste of what you can find in our book.
1: Oh. You know, I, I think all these lists are found in our book, The Fly Fisher's Book of Lists. Life is short. Catch more fish. Uh, it's published by Big Snowy Media. It's available on Amazon for twelve ninety nine. So it's not that expensive. It's one of those books that you can even oh. take with
0: you uh, when you fish. It's uh, kind of like potato chips for the fly soul. You know, you <laughs> eat one and then another and another and another, and or, or little c- cookies. <laughs> yeah. uh, that that works too.
1: Next thing you know, you have five thousand calories. Yeah.
0: And, <laughs> like, I know that's right.
1: And you feel so horrible. when you're
0: done uh, reading, but when you're done reading this heavy caloric book, uh, <laughs> you just might have some pieces of wisdom or some. Fly Fishing Hacks that will help you the next time you head to the river. All right, so, uh, yep, that'll do it. Uh, hey, it's time for great stuff from our listeners, and here are a couple of comments on our podcast episode, Six Practices for Stalking Trout. First one comes from Mark, and this made me laugh. He says, drop down and give me 20. casts." that is. Another <laughs> fine podcast, Fish On. Here's one by David. Uh, he said, Yes, indeed. Very good advice. Stalking fish or sight fishing can be a blast. There are times when the situation calls for the stop, drop, observe and crawl method. The sneak attack, especially on small streams or low water, clear sky conditions. Stealth is a must. Just as important in these conditions is the delicate and accurate cast. There's no room for mistakes or the pool can scatter in all kinds of directions leaving you frustrated. Often we rely on the buddy system. One will play the role of spotter while the other does the army crawl while getting directions from the spotter. Often this can be a rewarding experience for both both fly fishers. Uh, Dave will have to try that if I'm not uh half hour in front of you. <laughs> anyway, David goes on and he says, Success on a high five. Stocking a large fish can put all your skills to the test. Maintaining your composure can be very difficult and sometimes disastrous. It's something like buck fever. Instead of blowing the shot, you blow the cast. Oh yeah, yeah. I know it's uh, that can happen. But he's right. Uh, you know, sometimes you can work together, and I well, think we talked about that before. Where you know, occasionally we're small stream. One of us is maybe you know, upstream just a few yards saying, okay, yeah, crawl, crawl to the right, put your cast, you see that tree in the opposite bank, put it just to the left of that. Yeah, that, that can be kind of fun. So
1: Remember, we were on the Yellowstone last year and it was that really windy day and it was in the fall, probably September 20th, 21st. It was sunny out and there was this big, really strong current right in front of us but just outside that current just directly perpendicular you had to cast out about 15 feet or 18 feet and if you got it right in the in the perfect spot you'd catch fish and you were catching fish and catching fish in a sense you kind of did that you said hey Dave why don't you come over here and 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 I was fishing near you but I wasn't catching anything and you it's not so much you were spotting the fish, but you knew exactly where they were hitting because they were hitting your fly. There is something really wonderful yeah. about that, that partnership that can happen on the river.
0: Yeah, there really is. really is. So, yeah, happy stalking uh, fish. It's, uh, it's an important practice. Well, that's all for today. Hey, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River.
1: For the love of fly fishing and the love of lists.